You are listening to the sermon podcast of International Lutheran Church in Seoul, South Korea. I'm Pastor Chuck Hoffman. We found recently, well, this happens every summer up at the house behind the church here. We get these little tiny ants that like to crawl around on the carpet and uh, it used to be not such a big deal because when Jean and I eat we put the food in our mouth and then and then it's gone but when our little girls eat a lot of it goes onto the floor and uh, so uh, if a, like a noodle falls on the floor by the end of dinner it's covered with ants and and so I said okay well I'll, I'll go down to Lote here and I'll buy some of these little ant traps but they're not really traps, they're just uh, things filled with poison. And uh, the ant, it's kind of sad really, the ant goes in there, th- it thinks it has a treat. It says, oh, I found a little piece of sugar. And it says, I'm going to carry this thing back home. And it carries it home, and then, and then it kills all his friends. It's kind of, yeah, so. <laughs> There's some sympathy there, that's good, sympathy for the ants. So we, we uh, so I got some of these and I put them in corners around the house in the kitchen and in the dining room and so forth. And I did this when the girls were napping and when they came out and I knew, I, you know, I don't want them touching this stuff because it's got poison. It's got ant poison inside. So I told Elsie and Annalise, I said, now look at this thing here. And I pointed to, I said, this thing, don't touch this thing. This thing is full of poison. And plus, if they pick it up, all the little bits will fall out. You know, it's a big mess. So I said, just absolutely don't touch this. And they, they looked at it and they looked very serious on their face. They said, okay, this is, this is, I'm not supposed to touch that thing at all. And it's almost as if I could have said, any toy on the floor that you see is yours that you may have. But this one thing, please do not touch. I said, okay. Then a couple hours I, I came back and one of them was overturned and all the little bits of poison was scattered all over the floor. And then I went to the other room, I found the other one was the same way. I said to Elsie and Annalise, I said, where are you? And they said, we're over here. I said, what happened? Did you touch the thing that I told you not to touch? And they were kind of confused. Well, I don't know. Maybe. I'm not sure. It's all a flash. They don't really remember. But yes, they had dumped it out. And I was worried. Now, of course, I told them not to touch that out of loving concern. I don't want them to eat poison. If it kills ants so quickly, I I don't know what it does to a two-year-old, but I don't want to find out. So I noticed that there's a very similar pattern here to what we just read in Genesis chapter 3. Sin follows certain steps. It begins with a command, actually. This is what is allowed, and this is what is forbidden. When it comes to God, the things that are allowed and the things that are forbidden are always for our own good. But once we are aware of what is forbidden, we become curious about it. What am I missing out on, we ask. First comes the knowledge of what we ought not to do. 
The next step is to look upon that thing which is forbidden. If you read uh, Genesis chapter 3 closely, you'll notice that it didn't happen as quickly as you think that the, the serpent tricked Eve and then she just took the fruit and she ate it. First it said she looked at it. She saw that it was beautiful. She saw that it was desirable. The first step was to know that you aren't allowed to do this. And then the next step was to look at it. To see that I want this thing. Then for Eve, the final step was to actually grab hold and take a bite. But at that point, all of her momentum was taking her toward that action anyway. It was sort of inevitable by the time she actually took the fruit and ate. First the command, and then the desire, the look, so to speak, and then the fall. But just as there are these steps that lead up to our fall into sin, there are steps where God takes us to lead us back out. First, God comes to us, and then he calls, and then he asks. Adam and Eve hid themselves, it says. When they heard that God was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they hid themselves. And notice that, that after man had sinned, for the first time, God did not retreat. God did not walk away. God did not um, destroy everything and start over, have a new creation. Instead, he came and he walked among Adam and Eve. And he didn't just come and walk. He called as well. Where are you? He asked. Now, these are rhetorical questions. God knows where they are. Of course he does. He already knows that. He's inviting them to respond. He's inviting them to be honest. He's inviting them to confess. God wants them to confess because that's the first step toward restoring a right relationship with God. But they don't confess really, do they? They sort of blame God. Adam says, the woman that you gave to me, she handed me the fruit and I ate. I don't know if he said it like that exactly, but the woman that you gave, I always notice that word you. How often do we mistake a trick of Satan for something that God has done and then get mad at him about it? It happens all the time. People blame God for evil. If there was a God, if there was a loving God, this stuff here wouldn't be happening. Instead of recognizing that evil comes from the evil one. Evil comes from people. From our sinful nature. So Adam excused. He blamed. He redirected. Eve did the same as well. She said, the serpent. The serpent tricked me. Adam and Eve hid behind fig leaves to hide their nakedness, but really they hid behind their words and their excuses. They were trying to hide the thing that really mattered, which was their sin and their disobedience and their lack of faith in God's command. 
but God begins to walk them through the steps to kind of dig themselves out of the hole that they had dug. They were to be punished, for sure, but there would be a way out as well. The curse of the serpent tells us right away that this is so. God says, the offspring of the woman and your offspring, or you, the snake, will have enmity between you, and you will strike the heel of man, but he will crush your head. Jesus often called himself son of man. It's another way of saying offspring of woman. He's saying human. And on the cross, his final words were, it is finished. That was the completion of this Old Testament text. The final payment had been made. Final victory over this trickster snake had been won. And this now allows us to approach God just as he approaches us, even in our shame. But often we don't take advantage of that. Our instinct is to hide and to shrink back. It occurred to me that two things cause us to shrink back from God. The first thing is when we realize truly God's holiness. Just a couple weeks ago, we read about Isaiah in the, in the throne room of God, and the seraphim are flying around God's throne, and they're saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. And Isaiah's reaction was, Woe, woe to me. Woe to me, I am a man of unclean lips. Or when Peter was in the boat with Jesus, and Jesus said, Let down your nets. And suddenly there were hundreds and hundreds of fish in the boat. And Peter realized that this guy is not normal. This is something else here. This is the Messiah. Peter's reaction, he didn't say, let's catch some more fish. Peter said, get away from me. I'm a sinful man. But you can't really hide in a boat, can you? Sometimes I think that's why Jesus taught in a boat so often. You can't get away. You can't hide yourself. So when we are confronted with God's holiness, we often shrink back. But we also do that when we are ashamed of our actions. This is when we hide as well. And our body language gives us away. People try to make themselves smaller. Their shoulders will slump. They'll bring their limbs in and kind of shrink down in their chairs. They say that 80 or 90 percent of communication is not verbal. It's conveyed through our body language, through our facial expressions, and that's true, I believe. You can hold back your words, but it's very difficult to hold back your body language. It often conveys our true feelings, and sometimes we just want to disappear. But in these cases, God's invitation is, do not fear. Approach. Confess and be healed. This is why we always begin our worship service with confession. We are, in essence, saying, 
We believe God is present now, here, among us, just as he has promised. He promises to come and be with his people, and he's here now, so I confess. I don't excuse. I do not diminish sin. I do not say, it's no big deal, or I just made a mistake, or I tried my best, or I'm pretty good compared to so-and-so. No, we just say, I'm naked. I messed up this week. I sinned in thought, word, and in deed. I sinned by the things that I did, and I sinned by the things that I did not do. That's our starting point. And then the rest of the worship service is God coming to us in that position of vulnerability and saying, I heal you today. I forgive you today. I'm washing you clean in this place today. Hear my words of comfort. Receive the body of my son, the blood of my son poured out for you in this place. Don't hide anymore. But come to this table. Receive this feast that I have prepared for you. As parents, Jean and I are not perfect. I'm never quite sure, you know, we're new parents, I'm never quite sure how stern to be. I want my two daughters and also our two sons on the way, I want them to be safe. I want them to understand consequences. But I also want them to know that I love them and adore them at the same time. And sometimes those two desires are in conflict with each other. If we do have to be stern and correct them, often the tears will flow. Now, I don't mean to brag about my children here, but I think our two girls are pretty special, especially for their age. Lately, in the midst of being upset, if they're crying or having a breakdown, maybe because we've yelled at them to protect them in some way, they will ask us to pray for them. Literally, Elsie says, Mei Mei Dao Gao, which means, please pray for little sister. Or Annalise will, she usually says, Ani Dao Gao, meaning that's her name. She calls herself Ani. Ani Dao Gao. And even while they're having a meltdown and tears are flooding down their eyes, they ask for us to pray for them. And of course, our hearts break. Even if, if we had been angry in the moment, that's immediately gone. And we do. We pray for them. And usually they calm down right on the spot. And peace is restored. I guess they're appealing to a higher authority in the midst of it. They they know that I am not their only father. They know that they have a father in heaven that loves them as well. And although my parenting is not perfect, his lordship is perfect every day and always. And he's always looking to bring them out of hiding, bring us into the light of his love. I always think of this model of restoration, what God is trying to do with us all the time. I think of that as I try to figure out parenting. Consequences, yes. Adam and Eve had to leave the garden, after all. 
but a plan of restoration was also put into place immediately. God is always seeking to set our relationship with Him back right. And this is actually the meaning of the word righteousness. Righteousness means to be in a right relationship with God. So I pray that this morning, this worship service, this Sunday, and on every Sunday, that you sense that God is in this place and that He is walking among His people and that He's calling out to you. That He is saying, I have overcome the enemy. That I invite you into my rich grace. And that you are being restored in this place today. Amen. Now may the peace of God which surpasses all of our understanding guard our minds and our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.